If you'd like to listen to Radio Free Brooklyn when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. Hey, it's Letters to Her, and you're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, and it's time to get lost. Hi there, listener. You're there, and I'm here, and here I be, kicking it from the lair, once again, somewhere deep in Brooklyn, for another installment of Lost and Rewound, here on Radio Free Brooklyn. My name is Alon Danziger, and I am the host and producer for this weekly dive into the sounds of our yesteryears. Uh, Every week, I am joined by special guests and even frequent contributors as we go deep, real deep, into your archives to dust off those audio documentations once thought to be buried and never heard again. Here at LNR, we bring it all back for some 50-some-odd minutes, and hopefully we'll get to learn a little bit more about how we got from then to now. And if you, like our guest this week, have something waiting to be unleashed after being all but forgotten, be brave! That's right, be brave and reach out to us at Lost and Rewound at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org. For now, though... We got a great hour ahead, so strap in. It's about to get real as we bring out all the feels. First, a little episode. Returning to the show, because it has been far too long. It's been, must be a few weeks, but they are back. Our friends Rachel Teichman. Hey. And Will Hasty. Yo! Wow, that was a very loud yo that almost <laughs> makes me seem like I'm more of a tool than I really am. But you know what? It's We're- time to embrace <laughs> You know what we do with yo-yos around here, right? What? We walk the dog. It, Rach, well fucking done. <laughs> and joining us today on the show is Michael Wagner. He is a singer-songwriter whose artist name is Letters to Her. His music can be heard on Spotify, Apple Music, and Bandcamp, uh, just to name a few platforms. Uh, he released his EP, Four Days, in 2018. Uh, here to chat about that music he created as well as how he came to conceive it 
Mike is joining us from Denver, Colorado, where he has called home now for the past five years. Hello, Mike. Hey, it's, it's good to be here. Welcome to Radio Free Brooklyn. Uh, you have had quite a, a storied past to get you to the place where you are. But let's start in the now. How are you doing? You are a performer, but you are in quarantine. What's going on out there in Colorado with you? Well, it's important for quarantine times to stay calm. So I got some weed uh, from the dispo. Been feeling good there. Uh, Stocked up on tobacco. I got like a massive 10 ounce bag that's running out as we speak for like 20 bucks. So just stocking up on essentials basically. And then making sure that I have everything I need to uh, just stay secluded. If I'm being honest, it's no different than when I was writing before because I wasn't really leaving my house too much. So you're getting to reconstruct your safe creative space. Is the tobacco going like a bag of cocaine in the end times? I, I was going through it like a fiend, but then I got an inhaler. It turns out it was asthma the whole time. So. Oh, oh, man. Are you yeah. okay? Yeah, I'm fine. Better than I was. Uh, it's a long story, and uh, I, I'll talk a little bit about it. It's going to be okay. I got an inhaler now. feeling better. Basically... I thought I had exercise-induced asthma, but it's regular asthma. And so it was um, not apparent to me that it was happening when it was happening all the time. Wow. The air is very different up there. So uh, I know that you had moved to Colorado from uh, what I remember reading online uh, specifically because of legal weed. Uh, Yeah. Wisconsin really has weird legalities regarding the plant still. And so I wanted to get far away from that. Uh, And then once I got away from it, uh, the stress, of course, dissolved and dissipated and I started to feel better. How much money are you spending? I mean, mean, just for my own edification, the amount of money I'm spending on weed has actually gone down hilariously since the pandemic started. Dispensaries throw it at me because I have Hydrosoft Plus. And so oh, it's, it's a condition that's like water on the brain. And so they pretty much just, I mean, they do it for everyone, $10 grams at the dispo I go to for wax and chatter. Yeah. And then uh, dollar grams of weed are, is not unheard of at some dispensaries. Good God damn. That is awesome, man. Dude, I got to move like, to Colorado. Shake is really cheap. It's where it's at. You were in LA for a little bit, right? I went out to LA for a week. I included that because it was the four days recording process. Talk a little bit about that. Um, how did it come to be conceived uh, that you created this four days recording when you were in LA? Did you know that you were going to record this before you went out there? I knew that I was going to record it, and I went out there with the specific intention of recording it. I actually brought my dad out with me to kind of recreate the vibe of what it was like. Can we get some context? What was the experience with your father that was so profound that you needed to reproduce it in LA? So he took the opportunity of pulling some shit when I hurt my back. He took away my phone and keys so I couldn't leave his house. And my back was injured and that's when the four days ensued. And he's never faced any repercussions for that incident. And so I wanted to recreate the experience for myself to heal from a PTSD standpoint. The creation of this work under what was basically duress 
that reproducing that experience in LA was that triggering? Was that, I mean, you said you, you've implied that it was really like cathartic and, and healing, but what can you uh, After about? it was, it was after, but uh, we got in a fight in LA and uh, he told me that I'd sell more albums if I had another lead singer on my project. Oof. That's oh, rough. And dude, that's a big old kick in the balls. But what he didn't know is that I detuned and drop pitched my vocals intentionally to hide from him. Because if I would have sold, you know, with a Weezer voice, like I do, I mean, because I sang with them, the guardianship would have never ended, the conservatorship would have never ended, I would have been another Britney, and no one would have cared. Damn. So I decided to do the project to shame him and to kind of put him in his place, but to also protect myself in a way from ever going anywhere for a period of time. That is one of the truest expressions of like experiencing and living your art and it genuinely coming from a very, very real place, man. That's, that's pretty fucking heroic, dude. Thanks, man. A lot of what you just said is really rough and, um, it's great that you've been able to come out of it healed and being able to, what it seems like, still do what you love. Yeah, it didn't stop me from doing anything. I just, I wanted to not necessarily get noticed for my art right off the get-go. It's hard in LA because it's like you have to really try to be seen. And it seems like it's such a cesspool for people who are literally going out there for that purpose alone. Yeah, and I'm I'm glad I'm not, you know, permanently in LA. It was it was only a week, but uh it Denver's my hometown that I live in now and I, I love it so much more. I actually got cat called on the sidewalk in LA. It was kinda ridiculous. What? Yeah, <laughs> someone, someone told me I'd make fifteen bucks if I came to their car or whatever, you know. So what? <laughs> only a week, a right? Walking down Sunset, you know, nothing else. <laughs> Bring us back with you 10 years ago, well before you hurt your back, well before you dealt with this PTSD, when you were working in uh, some sort of, something entirely different from what, you, uh, what you're doing now. I assume you're referring to the syndicate, right? Um, the, is, that, the, is that where you were working with? No, well, I, I worked for them as a street teamer. I've always kind of looked up to bands in the Warped Tour circuit. Never Shout and, and The Main and Blink-182 and all those. You know, Travis Barker is endlessly an inspiration to me. When was your first concert? Ashamed or not, uh, sync or Backstreet Boys, either one. Yeah! Uh, that is the dream. Yeah, and then Savage Garden after that, for sure. Savage, Savage Garden. Garden, dude, man after my own fucking heart. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> Bats in a Coffee Machine was amazing. It's one of my favorite tracks for sure. I relate to that one a lot. And did, so, did you did you go to these shows with friends or did you go with uh, who do you, would you go to these concerts with? My parents, unfortunately. Ella, uh, but then I early, that was early on. I mean, I was eight eight or nine, you know, and then yeah. so I really didn't have a choice. It's more of a family function than anything. But then once I got to be fifteen, I was going to like see Chiodos and uh, Seosin. He's endlessly an inspiration to me. Uh, what was the name Green. of it? Anthony Green. Seosin. Anthony Green. Okay. And oh, then, Anthony uh, Green. Yeah. Yeah, he's a lovable dude. Was it the family functions 
and the natural discovery of music that led you to say, I got to be a musician? So it was being five years old and realizing I really wanted to be up on stage singing a song. Right. What's your experience with stage fright? I've had it and I haven't had it. These days I'm on uh, something that's called a beta blocker. Okay. It really helps with stage fright. Mm -hmm. I really don't deal with it anymore, but in the past I've, I've dealt with breathing problems and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have panic attacks right before shows? Right before shows? Um, no, but I remember I got in a car accident right before a performance in seventh grade and uh, got in a scooter accident and then I went and I still danced. Damn. Oh, yeah. That's peak I, energy right there. Right. <laughs> I was such a geek in high school and, and uh, in middle school. It was ridiculous. Well, you must have had like uh, a crew that you uh, assembled with uh, for, uh, you know, at the very least, your common music taste. I mean, a lot of what you were into was very age appropriate. Yeah. So I had friends from back home that I, you know, still know. And sometimes we talk. I talk to one of them at least, you know, on the weekly. And uh, it's been a long time coming, but I'm glad we stayed in touch. Those long-term friendships when you first discovered your art, like, I mean, dude, that's, you know, invaluable. Yeah. Yeah, I got one friend, his name's Joe, and he's a, he's a cool dude, and I've known him since literally grade school, like, first grade. Do you have uh, any siblings? I have a sister. We have a decent relationship. It's, it's better, going better than it was. And older or younger? She's older. It could be said that she had more opportunities in life to succeed that were just kind of presented to her, whereas I had to kind of work more for what I got. It's the younger sibling experience. Yeah, I suppose. We want to get to some clips. I was alluding to the days uh, before this all happened, uh, and this is a big deal. Like You're seeing one of your favorite bands. You, you're yeah. seeing them in Milwaukee. You're seeing Weezer, and you get to go up on stage and sing with them, a song that I, admittedly I'm not directly familiar with, but what led up to this moment happening, and how crazy is it? The Eagles Ballroom in 2009. I entered a contest at the Mono 21 and won that, and we recorded the cover of I Want You To in... Uh, Mike Judkins' bedroom in Germantown, and then we uh, ended up hanging out, and he sent me back the link the next morning. I sent it off to Cramp and Adler at FM 1021, and then they also played it that day, and people voted, and then I won. And then after that, we ended up going to the venue. The day of was December 3rd, 2009. And we pulled up to the venue a little late. We missed sound check, which would have been a cool experience. But I ended up getting to go backstage to meet Brian from Weezer at about five o'clock or six o'clock while uh, the other bands were playing, you know. And then uh, we rehearsed "I Want You To," and then uh, went on stage. Enjoyed the catering too; it was pretty good. I love the craft. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> the craft services. Excellent. All right, well, without further ado, let us uh, take a listen to I Want You To, a bootleg version that you found. We're going to do our, uh, the first single off the new record. It's called If You're Wondering If I Want You To. I Want You To. 
Homie's gonna sing uh, Leighton Meester's part. <laughs> I'm gonna sing my part. A girl's See how part. it goes. A girl's part. Yeah, the girl's part. Yes. It's alright. They get the idea. Let's see what he's got. Show him your support. Let's do this. The moon was shining on the lake at night. My slayer t-shirt fit the scene just right. This mere mascara, I looked into your eyes and saw a lie. Told you stories about my chickadees. They didn't like me because of stupid
And uh, currently right now, the group is uh, being treated to a delightful photo of you and Rivers uh, singing right up next to each other. That was incredible, dude. Dude, are you kidding me? That was like a that's like a childhood fantasy of mine. Holy shit! <laughs> not 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 too shabby, you yeah, know. Dude. Popping your your performance cherry more or less uh, in front of thousands of people. Three thousand, yeah. Three thousand people. Pretty, pretty amazing. Pretty dude, that's amazing. a pretty awesome. That's a pretty fucking awesome intro into that world, man. I mean, like obviously yeah. you're already into music, but like. You know, dude, that's got that had to have been incredible. That was Eagles Ballroom in Milwaukee, one of my favorite venues. Uh, kind of haunted, actually. Haunted, you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it was a gentleman's club in the twenties, and then uh, they transitioned into live music eventually. Apparently, maybe some sketchy shit might have happened. I don't know if it's true or not. And then uh, it's haunted now. Well, it is spooky season. I've heard some stories <laughs> of like sure. what maybe might have happened. Do you believe in ghosts? Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think it's all real, man. I think that none of it's made up. I think all of it's real. I don't think that any of it can be made up. There is so much that we have barely begun to understand. Cats see a lot of it, and dogs see a lot of it, but we don't. Mm. Yeah, humans are shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> humans are shit. But dogs and cats, of course, they understand these physics. How old were you when the Weezer show happened? That was when I was 18. Damn. Oh, man. 18. And then when I was 19, I got invited to go on the road as a tech for a band called Breathe Electric. Uh, the Millionaires were the headliners for that tour. Lovely girls. Loved them. Mm-hmm. And then uh, bands like Set It Off filled the gaps. When did you pick up a guitar for the first time? <sighs> 15, 14, 13. What was your first guitar? Uh, shitty. It was like 100 bucks. <laughs> but like, what was it? Maybe an Ibanez. I don't know. It wasn't okay. shitty if it was an Ibanez, but I mean, it was not a great guitar. It wasn't necessarily worth keeping. I think it might have been an electric and uh, it was very noisy. And so I got rid of it. And then I picked up guitar again when I was 19 and finally learned it. Picked up drums when I was five and then picked up piano in rehab during a 10 day stay. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? I don't know how how to really begin. I mean, because it's just such an emotional thing to be going through and reliving again. Will, I see your hand up. As somebody who went to rehab himself, what started you down that path? Was that a personal choice? Was that a friend choice? Was that a family choice? Is it something? It was a family choice that was made for me, and I didn't appreciate it being made for me because it wasn't appropriate. If all that's wrong with me is that I have asthma, then I should be given an inhaler and sent on my way. It's very difficult to know that they'd rather bill my Medicaid 50 grand a month to keep me in the hospital on a cycle claiming that I can't take care of myself when all that's happening is that I have a bad roommate who's not paying rent. That's a very, very, very hard road, and, and that's a very hard seat to have to sit in. Yeah, it was difficult, you know, but it's the things that we go through in life that when we, we get through them, they make us stronger, and no one tells you this, but eventually you kind of get immune to it. 
from everything that I've gotten a chance to hear of your music, I, I've listened to uh, you know a, a good chunk of the stuff that you've been putting out, and uh, it seems that piano does play a very dominant role in the melodies of your music more than guitar. I wanted to play the piano, and I knew I couldn't play the guitar. <laughs> I just knew I sucked at guitar, and so I, I can play the piano much more um, cohesively. It just it goes easier for writing, it goes easier for rehearsing, it goes easier for playing it back. It all works out. When you got out of rehab, was that liberating? Did you finally feel like you were like, fine, I, I got this? I mean, it sounds like you were still deep in the shit and still had to deal with all the fallout right after that happened. Um, well, I actually went through conversion therapy three months before the whole thing went down. What was that like? And how did you... How did you end up there? Always evil. You know, I got the referral from someone, and uh, I went, and uh, it was not necessarily my intention to go back into it, but I wanted to make myself better, and I felt I could. So I did conversion therapy one more time uh, to benefit myself, and it's basically just going through scenarios of what could happen in the future, and deciding and making decisions. And so nothing's really permanent about what I went through, at least the last time, you know? It was necessary, it seems, for you. The Catholic Church had never told me that I was okay to be gay, and my parents never told me I was okay to be gay. I wanted to change so bad because they made me feel like there was something wrong with me, like there was an end goal I was supposed to get to in recovery that was never ending and given to me from a young age. And so I just said, fuck it and tried to trap them in their shit and it didn't really work out. I ended up just going through conversion therapy. I can only imagine the pain that that is like, I can, cause I am as a cisgendered straight male, I've supported a lot of friends who have gone through similar experiences and had to recover from them. But dude, I can only imagine what that must've been like. And I, I mean, Jesus fucking yeah. Christ. So I was at the bottom of it when I was learning piano. And it was, just, it was a combination of starvation for oxygen and the need to be a better version of myself that I learned piano. At any point, did you buy into the conversion therapy? Uh, I guess yeah. what I really need to say was, were you indoctrinated enough that it started to fuck with your thinking? Um, it did for a while. It did for a long time. It told me that I wasn't acceptable at being who I was and then allowed whoever was driving the ship of the therapy to do even worse shit. You made it out as an incredible artist, right? Like that's a pretty incredible win. And that's a pretty, you know, it's a, it, it speaks to your character and it speaks to your ability to survive, to be able to be on the yeah. other side of that and still be here talking about it with us. Yeah, exactly. We're only halfway through and I'm already uh, speechless. We have only scratched the surface. And I mean like a very, like, like a, a very, like a, like a limestone scratch. Like you can barely see it. Like we're going to dig a little deeper uh, into uh, the, into the catacombs of which are your uh, recordings. Um, they aren't that old, but they pack a lot of story in them which is just relevant enough to make this one of our more revelatory uh, episodes to date. This is Lost and Rewound on Radio Free Brooklyn.
Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash donate. Welcome back. We are here uh, through the me- virtual means, aka Zoom, because uh, what else is there? I suppose there's other things. But for now, we have this, and it's Rachel and I and Will uh, chatting with Mike Wagner, aka Letters to Her. Um, and I guess this is a good time, a uh, better time than any, to actually ask what is the impetus for Letters to Her, the name? How did you come up with that name? Uh kind of just came up with it but later realized it had a meaning to it and that meaning that there's someone in this world that i want to know about what happened to me and that person is a girl and i love them very much and that's really all i can say about them tell us about you don't know i had a crush on someone and i realized that no matter how much i liked them it didn't matter they probably never liked me back, and even more so, it didn't matter because they don't know me. You had a like a music coach that uh, uh you... yeah, a music coach, Bradley Walden from Amorosa. He helped me through the writing process of the first batch of my songs. Awesome. So yeah. this is one of the first songs that you wrote and recorded. Yeah. Amazing. Let's hear it.
solid. Uh, I really appreciated that uh, a lot. It just right out the gate, boom, like that, done. It, it resonates. It, uh, you can feel, yeah, man. You really can feel the emotion out of it. I mean, would your this is this is a, a a topic we sometimes talk about on the show, but the sort of, and this but and this is just my line to describe these things. This is not meant to be derogatory in any way, shape, or form. Is it flaming? I call. I would call that flaming. I call those like the get over yourself songs, right? That are truly, truly honest and truly, truly real where you're just putting a part of yourself out there to deal, right? Like to be able to handle it because putting it out there has that cathartic experience. Would you describe this song as one of those or not really? It was definitely that to everyone that I moved away from. Rock the fuck on. Nice, man. Because they watched me suffer for so long in this endless endless basically it was conversion therapy my whole life and so they watched it all happen and i say that and lift me up i say they the whole town watched me drown i almost died and that's absolutely the case it drives you apart from people who really care about you I was very taken by the musicality. It's very ambitious. Uh, the drums are really awesome. I wonder, uh, you know, it, it's a program drums, right? But you yes. created this entire, but, but no, but, but you produced this entire track on your own. You did the guitar and the piano and program the drums. And uh, it's a real, you have a real knack for the rhythm yeah. uh, being somebody who started out so early on drumming. You can hear the Blink-182 influence. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I, like I said, Travis Barker is one of my go-tos for inspiration. Uh, Just his drumming on, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, Natives by Blink-182. If you go home and you jam that song, uh, fucking epic. Epic drum solo the whole time through he's playing. It's dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. It's nuts. And he just does that nonstop. The whole song. He's terrifyingly fast, man. And like terrifyingly efficient. You know what I mean? Like I, it, it's the fact that he, the fact that he's been able to do that so consistently and like, you know how most drummers at least fall off a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, I got you, man. He, he's got an interesting story though. Remember he had that plane crash in 2008 and then he came back. He had plus 44 bounced back to blink 182 he just had an ambitious career and now he's a producer for like machine gun Kelly and all those great, great rappers and stuff like that. Kind of cool. There's some unreleased songs that you shared with us, which I'm really excited about this first one, which is called uh, sunny day. Is this sunnier in disposition? It's just saying that I'm going to make a sunny day out of the rain. They want me to
What a sweeping song. Much like the sun, that was flaming. <laughs> <laughs> now, dude, you really, when I went, like, I, I had this term that all my friends hated when I was 15 or 16 because songs that really affected me, I would just describe universally as epic. Oh my God, were we the same person? We Rach, we've been over, yeah, that's true. Also, ongoing theme on this show, Rachel and I are twins. Um, but the, uh, but, but yeah, man, that was fucking epic. Thanks, man. Was there a, a song or a specific, like, not like necessarily an artist, but like, were, were there specific songs that you were listening to growing up that helped you find a way of voice for the pain that had been inflicted on you? Specific songs that stand out. She Paints Me Blue by Jack's Mannequin. Jack's Mannequin. Oh, wait, I've, I've oh. seen that name. Yeah. Andrew McMahon. You are my reason for breathing inside a room. She paints me blue, I think. I think those are the lyrics. But in any event, the lyrics for sure are, inside a room, she paints me blue again. And I think that's the most hauntingly beautiful lyric that anyone could ever write. You know, just chills down my spine every time I hear it. It's so, so good. There's only so many songs we could go over this hour. I mean, you've got a list. You, you, that, that's what's so ca- like crazy, man. This is like, you've got, for whatever it may be worth, like all the songs that you've been making over the past two years, it's just, it, it's just staggering. It's a lot. Um, well, talk, it's a lot talk, of fun. Yeah, well, you, you better be having a lot of fun if you're going to be making music, especially during quarantine. I hope you're having fun. I am having a ton of fun. For sure. <laughs> tell, tell us about Broken Light. Let's see. It's about a hookup. I know about those. Yeah, same. A long um, time ago. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, because, COVID, I guess. Well, the chorus is, dance in the stormlight, I'll be all, uh, holding on, I'll be all alone singing the same sad song, dance in the stormlight, I'll be holding on, and I'll be, uh, if I was wrong, I was wrong, sheltering you from the storm at all. And it's just about a random hookup with someone I actually love a lot. Very good. And on we listen.
just love how concise you make your songs. You don't go on for very long. You just you get what you need to get out, and then you just let it end. Yeah, I mean, I went in with specific things I wanted to say, and I figured once that wrapped up, I should probably wrap the song. Is that something that came from it just feeling like cathartically done? or because you feel like it was more the Blink-182? Because, um, I mean, most of their songs are pretty quick. Most of their, except for, like, Brian's song and a couple of them. It, you know, they're, 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 fair, they're, they're like two, three minutes at most, right? Most of the time. Yeah, I mean, um, a lot of the fast punk influence probably in, inspires a lot of the song structure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know for a lot of songs, I like to just do two choruses, uh, two verses in a chorus. Oh, yeah. Do you like bridges or not really? Sometimes. I mean, they have their place, but, you know, they can be overused just the same. So most bands, they'll do pre-production, right? And they'll pre-production a record and they'll do 30 songs. Like Blink will do 30 songs for an album. Hmm. But if you keep going, no one can stop you. And so I kept going and I wrote 80. Damn. Fuck yeah, man. And then I wrote 110. Yeah, that'll make you fucking epic. Yeah, dude, you need that. That's your fucking Hamburg. You know what I mean? Your what? I kind of know what he means, but I don't know what he means. But so, so the Beatles before they were the Beatles oh. played six-hour sets at a titty bar in Hamburg for two years. Oh. And they're, and they're credited for seeing that as a benefit and not the shittiest gig ever. Did sure. You say a titty bar. It was literally a titty bar. It was it was a topless German uh, stripper bar. Those were different times. I'm really glad I heard you correctly. <laughs> <laughs> it was there ten thousand hours. It's credited for like if they hadn't had that experience together and done that together and had the wherewithal or had the strength to make it through what was otherwise considered a relatively painful experience. Was it painful? Eh. But um, but like you know, for them to make it through that, that the expectation was that that was what made them the Beatles because they had all of that time in it. And man, one hundred and ten fucking songs, dude, you're you're rolling. Yeah, I I put in the ten thousand hours because I I got in. Uh, I mean, I would, I'd say I probably went five days writing a song and then I would go to the next one. Right on, man. Do you have just like a boatload of uh, voice memos, or do you tend to write down in uh, journals? I have seven notebooks I've written in. I have um, my notepad, and then I have my uh, voice memos filled up. Damn. Do you have your, like, old-school first, like, totally fucked notebook that is just (laughs) your most, like, beloved, you know, idea? For the listener, for Um, the listener, (laughs) it's a leather, little tiny leather book. That you are putting on the screen and showing this us. The first one for me. That, yeah. This is this is the original four days notebook. And but. for our listeners, you are rocking a Mead five star, right? Is that a five star? I want to say yeah, yeah, five star. Oh shit, yeah. That's that back to school shit, yeah. Ah, it's that back to school shit. Mm. All of my original works exist on a hard drive on a Windows ninety eight. Damn. What? That's epic. That is very that is, epic, Rich. Rich, you never converted that? It's all gone now. <laughs> we have the hardware, but whatever I whatever works of Microsoft Paint 
that I did are somewhere deep in the abyss of that computer. Our next song is called September Weekend. This is a, a newer song that you uh, are sharing with us today. Probably took about a week to record. Uh, it's just about growing up. Okay. Uh, I don't know pretty, what that's like. Yeah, I don't know either. September Weekend from Letters to Her right here on LNR. just cuts off Sorry about i that. wanted to yeah, hear more I, I intended to make an audio tale where it would drift but uh it didn't work out like that in logic sometimes logic lets us down it's okay <laughs> you could always do a re-edit i've noticed a couple of songs in your soundcloud that do uh fit this description of uh, you re-recording them yeah for sure i mean the intention with art is to always you know bring your best foot forward and to always try again if you fail so that's kind of what I do. I I went into it with, you know, spending the right amount of money on budgeting for like tracking and all that stuff. But then my dad drained my savings and did all that in the guardianship and conservatorship that he ran. 
and left me with nothing. So I had to get creative and kind of continue on as a DIY project. The ambition is real. And uh, I mean, even if that sort of heinous act of being so self-serving uh, didn't uh, occur, uh, I think uh, it wouldn't change at all the quality of uh, DIY musicianship that you are emulating in your work. It's really refreshing to interview somebody who actually been through the shit, right? Because the level of awareness that that experience grants and the level of tolerance for bullshit that that, you know, like in, ter- in terms of like an ability to just sort of hop through it and not, you know, to essentially hop past it is a better way to say it is really fucking refreshing, man. You know, it's nice to meet a really true dude. Thanks, man. I really appreciate you saying that. Yeah, I, th- I think your resilience is unbelievable. And to be able to find an outlet, like such as music, like whatever your art is, and in this case, it's your music, like the fact that that can get you through is just amazing. Yeah, it was what always got me through. When I was little, even before I was singing songs on my own, you know, it was bands like Jack's Mannequin and Blink-182 who were sad for me. So that yeah. I could just be. You post these songs to help others uh, with everything that you've gone through, with surviving assault, brainwashing, being held against your will. I mean, all those things absolutely are, uh, they should never happen to anybody, point blank. Nobody should happen to deal with that, but it did happen. And you have come out stronger as an artist and as a person because of it. Um, thank you for sharing your truth and for uh being so candid with us this hour before we go i just wanted to give uh you a chance to uh tell us maybe about uh where we can go for if there's someone listening to the music this hour i was inspired to listen to more of it uh you do have a number of platforms including bandcamp uh, soundcloud as well as apple music all you have all your stuff on there yep uh everything's on soundcloud uh most of it's on spotify just letters to her, yeah? Yeah, and then um, uh, letters to her, Mike, with the number two in there uh, for Twitter. And letters to her band on Instagram, yes? Yep. Thank you so much once again to Mike Wagner, uh, a.k.a. letters to her, for uh, sharing so much uh, beautiful and wonderful raw uh, music and uh, stories with us this hour on Lost and Rewound. Rachel, Will, thank you for joining me on this hour as well thank you for this platform thank you for this platform and michael honestly man it's been an unbelievable pleasure man thank you for the interview it's great it was a great thank time. you for this opportunity you guys i really appreciate it for real Interview bookends of this episode's content 
are an homage to Tony Lewis, the lead singer of The Outfield, who passed away recently at the age of 62. Rest in peace to Tony Lewis. As someone who loved singing Your Love at Karaoke, I'd be remiss not to tip my proverbial cap. But hey, enough of that. What you just heard was a phenomenal edition of Lost and Rewound, to which your ears were treated most generously, I would hope. My thanks again to Will Hasty, Rachel Teichman, and this week's special guest, Mike Wagner of Letters to Her, for sharing songs, musings, and cautionary tales. Every week on Radio Free Brooklyn, like we just did on this go-around, we bring you an hour's worth of conversations that ebb and flow from lighthearted and humorous to candid and honest. And if you do not believe me, let the record show. Our archives can be found all across the wild, wild web, including Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or our main hub over at radiofreebrooklyn.org slash LAR, or shorthand, you can type in rfb.nyc slash LAR. There, you can browse through all of our 200-plus episodes dating back to 2016, powered by the handy megaphone drop-down player. This has been episode 230 of Lost and Rewound. Please come back next week and join us for a new edition, and hopefully we'll all learn a little something about who we used to be. This is Elon signing out from the lair. Take care of yourselves. Yes, we can. Yes, we can. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, no, no, for sure. Anyway. <laughs> what? Sorry can we fix it? Yes, we can. No, Bob, this uh... is a divorce. It's finalized. <laughs> 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 that was, that was very good.